great to see you guys and worship with you guys tonight. We got our two little kiddos here tonight. We got little Scarlet Ruth here and little Mavaroni back there eating chips. So it's a good night. All right. Man, how good was that worship? That was so good. Well, um, thank you, Fred and Andrea and team, Jonathan and Aaron, Isaac. Um, So tonight, uh, this is part two of a message I began last month on stepping into your kingdom authority. Stepping into your kingdom authority. And the reason this is important is because God didn't send his son to die on a cross to give you his spirit to live in you so that you could go to church. And so that you could be comfortable. And to have a life that is very normal and safe. That is not what he did. He actually implanted his spirit in us so that we would live powerful lives. That you and I, probably one of the most crazy concepts together, is that we are the vessels in which God moves. If God is going to do something on earth, he's going to choose to partner with man to make it so. And so that requires us to have an awareness that we've been called into partnership with him, but that it is up to us to, one, be aware that's what his call is, and two, know how to participate in it. And unless we step out and embrace that and start doing something, we actually, I believe, can stifle what God wants to do in our own lives, in our city, in our churches. And so this is part two of that message. And last time I, I gave a little teaser of, of one, one of the things that like stops us. Like why do we, why do we have a bias towards inaction? Christians, we, we say these things that, that trick us into doing nothing. And one of them was trusting God. That it sounds really pious and religious. And as you look in the Old Testament, you see people who trust God and then they did something great. You know, for example, Israel trusted God and they went and stood in the Jordan River and it parted. David trusted God and he put stones in a sling and defeated a giant. The woman who was bleeding trusted God and she wouldn't touch Jesus' robe. Peter trusted God and he walked on water. And so you see this pattern of people who trust God, you see an action, you see a participation that they have, but that's not all what we do all the time, is it? Because we'll say, I'm trusting God. And I've learned, for a lot of friends and for myself, is that when I say I'm trusting God, it's actually code word for I'm doing nothing. Hey, have you paid your bill? Nope, I'm trusting God. Have you applied for that job? Nope, I'm trusting God. Are you going to the hospital? No, I'm trusting God. <laughs> and it is this, this thing that we say that makes us feel like we're actually being obedient, but I actually believe it's a subversive trick that keeps us to do nothing. And so I hit you last time with a statement that trusting God is actually proven by how you step out, not by how you step back. So all spiritual authority that we look at tonight is predicated on our willingness to step out, to participate, that We are trusting God, and that's proven by our boldness. It's proven by our resilience and our action and what we believe is true about ourselves and what is true about him and what is true about what he's called us to. So last time we asked the question, how do we step out? How do we access greater levels of authority? And how do we develop ourselves to be ready to partner with God in the renewal of all things? So let me summarize quickly for you because it is a seven-point message and we only got through a few of them last time. I didn't want to torture you guys last time, but I want to speed you up here because these are all together. Is The first one is to know that you're made for this. 
This is not just a feel-good message, but every molecule in your body is a light-bringing, darkness-breaking, kingdom-bringing force that God has chosen to move through you. You have to believe that that is your role. And if that is what our responsibility, our role is, we know the plan of the enemy is to come against that belief. To say, no, you're just a sinner saved by grace, a, a blade of grass, and we're just waiting here until we're raptured. And hopefully I don't get in too much trouble by then. And that is such a reduction of what God has called us to. And if we know that's what God is calling us to, he's, he's looking towards you, and he's seeing greatness in you and calling you into partnership, then we know the enemy's tactic is to try and convince you of otherwise, to try and say that you are nothing. And so very much in the same vein, that self-doubt is a form of spiritual attack. Self-doubt is a form of spiritual attack when you embrace and believe what God has called you to. The second thing is that we need to develop a vision for what greater authority looks like in our life. Because vague hopes, vague prayers get vague responses. You can't say, God, I want more authority. It's like, okay, cool, what? You're like, I didn't think that far. <laughs> like, we actually need to have in our minds of God, like, this is what it looked like. I want this. Whether it's I want to be preaching the Bible, whether it's I want to be healing souls, whether it's I want to be healing bodies, whether it is leading people to grow them and develop them, whatever it is, you need to have a vision in your mind for what you want God to do with that great authority. But sometimes we don't develop great authority because we're too busy being jealous of someone else's gifting. I can't tell you how many times I got discouraged and said, I'm never going to preach again because I heard such this amazing line or, or message or sermon. It's like, everyone should just go listen to that guy, you know? Why would anybody want to listen to me? And so sometimes we can have the call of God be attacked by our own jealousy of someone else's great gifting. The third was to prepare yourself ready now. Is you don't want to wait until you need more authority to try and develop it. You want to work on developing authority so that when the time is there, you step into it and you are ready. The, the, the saying goes, you don't uh, prepare for the job uh, that you have, you prepare for the job you want. The same is in the kingdom. You need to have a mindset and awareness of where I want to go. I'm not there yet, but I know where I want to go. I know what God's calling to me to, and I'm going to prepare now. And so when we prepare now, God is faithful to open up those responsibilities. And I felt the Lord saying that there are many people in here who've never had greater levels of spiritual authority because they were totally unprepared. And if they got what they asked for, it would crush them. They would not be able to contain the responsibility. So that's a quick overview. You can get the rest of it on the podcast. So that's where you left off. This is where you pick up number four. If you want to step into greater kingdom authority is use the authority you already have. It's not like Jesus starts you at zero. You know, it's not like you start from nothing. You have a measure of authority, a seed that you get to steward and plant to see what would happen from it. And sometimes we are unable to step into great authority because we've not used the authority we've been given. It's, a, it's an illegitimate prayer for us to say, God, would you give me more? And he's like, what have you done with what I already gave you? And if we've done nothing, why would he give us more? And so we remain spiritual weaklings because we've never used what we already have. We're too busy complaining about what we want. And we see this, scripture throughout, we see this uh, principle throughout Scripture where God gives you something and then he looks to us to do something with it. Whether it was the parable of the ten mina, remember, ten mina I give it to you, and whatever you do with it, well, the reward was ten cities, 
It was this exponential. Just, it wasn't even about the mind. It was the faithfulness. If I can give you a little, what would you do with it? We see the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Remember, five fish and two loaves. And they fed every single person more than enough. It wasn't like, I, I don't get it. I don't get to complain about what I don't have because God's like, if you are faithful with the little you have, I can do amazing things with you. And so promotion for more is based on the stewardship of what you currently have. The greatest and easiest way for us to increase our spiritual authority is begin to practicing what we have now because the only mistake you can make in the kingdom in this matter is to do nothing at all. If you want to have zero growth, just do nothing, and you'll, you'll meet that objective. It's the only mistake you can make in, in preventing yourself from having more spiritual authority because the scriptures say that we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory, right? It's a progression, and they, they, they match each other. One leads to the other. They're connected. And so here's an important truth about authority is that authority, therefore, is not something that you attain Authority is something you develop. This is not the Eagle Scouts where it's a merit badge, like we pass the test and we get this little badge. No, authority is something that we develop, that we get over time. How do you develop more authority? You use what you've been given. Now, I am in no position to talk to you about building muscle, as you can clearly see. But what I want to share with you is in how you develop muscle is very similar to how you develop authority. If you want to someday bench 220 pounds, when I was in college, that's what I want to do because it's like the, the two big heavy weights on each side. It looked really cool. So I go there in my college. I'm like, get there. I load on both of those two, and I about like crush my neck because it just like fell up on, on me. I, in reality, could lift like 60 pounds. Now, the way if that was my goal to lift 220 pounds is not to go every single day trying the 220. You're just going to fail. What you need to do is take what you have, add five pounds, Get that, then add five pounds. And do that, and then add five pounds. Because so many of us in the kingdom, we, we approach authority. We approach what our goals are like this. And we just sit on the bench, and we go for max. And it crushes us, never knowing that God develops us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, that he wants us to use what we existently have and to add to it. And from that, then add to it. And that is the, the goal because as you look at David, he killed a lion and a bear in private so that in public he would defeat a Goliath. His authority was developed over time through faithfulness of something small and in private that led to the greater opportunities. And so if we are faithless and unfaithful with a little, we will be unfaithful in a lot. And so could it be that we actually have no kingdom authority on the big stuff because we never developed authority for the small stuff. We complain about what we don't have, and we realize that we never put in the work for the small things. One of the, my favorite sayings is, don't complain about the results you didn't get by the work you didn't put in. I don't get a complaint about my lack of muscles because I didn't lift he heavy things, apparently. But big stuff is usually the small stuff that went uncontested. As we look at what God is calling us, he's calling us to like be faithful in the little things. And I believe the biggest issues in our life are actually neglected smaller issues that became big and they became a challenge. 
And so it's important for us to know that we develop this authority over time by measure to measure from smaller stuff to bigger stuff. Because if you don't have faith to cast out cancer, I'm sorry, let me say this again. You will never have faith to cast out cancer if you don't have faith to cast out a cold. And we don't, re, we don't really think like a cold is like, you kind of think it's beneath the power of God, you know, we're like, come on, you know. And, but we, we think that, that God wants to step in for big things when we've neglected the smaller things. And so it's the small stuff that gives us the authority for the bigger things. My two kids that are here, I take every opportunity for every tummy ache, every bruise, skinned knee, um, bad dream. I take every opportunity to say, God cares about this. Let's pray about this. I know it's a bruise. I know it's going to heal naturally in a few days. But let's pray because God wants us to, to know that he cares about the small stuff, but it's in the, the belief of the small stuff that they will have the faith for the big stuff. And so we don't want to wait for the bigger issues. We want to flex on the smaller issues so that we develop greater authority, so that when we face the mountains and the challenges, we've addressed the hills before we've gotten to the mountains. Does that make sense? All right, number two, or actually number five, but two from tonight. If you want to develop greater kingdom authority, the next one is to speak to what is really going on. Speak to what is really going on. Having spiritual authority is not about saying specific words. It's actually speaking to specific situations and specific causes and specific issues. It requires us to see what's really going on and address that because vague prayers will get vague results. In one of the more interesting passages in the Bible, Jesus sends out the disciples and says, go heal the sick, cast out demons, go be awesome. That is his command. And the disciples go out and they bring back a boy who is demon-possessed, who is, the demon is trying to throw him into fire, trying to drown him, is cutting him, all these different things, and they can't heal the boy. And so they bring the boy back. And so Jesus looks at him and rebukes the unclean spirit and says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And instantly the boy was healed. But the disciples kind of like miffed about this. They want to know, what was it wrong that we did? How come you did it, but we couldn't? We went on your command. We were obeying you, but we failed. Why did you get this right? And Jesus replies that, uh, it says Mark 9, that when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, asking, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Jesus said the reason why they had no authority was because they didn't know what they were up against and they didn't know how to address it. Not that you didn't say the right prayers. It's just that you didn't know what you were up against and because you didn't know what you are up against, you didn't know how to address it. So Jesus reveals a specific spirit, this kind, and a specific tactic was needed, which was prayer. And Jesus reveals in this that there is power in specificity. Did you notice something that the boy, the tormenting spirit, was trying to throw him into water and trying to throw him into fire? But then Jesus says, you deaf and mute spirit? Like, I would have, like, gone for spirit of torment and fire and water, you know. I would have, like, given the symptoms, which is probably what the disciples did. But Jesus says, no, there's something deeper beneath it that I need to be aware of what I'm really up against and I'm going to name what I'm up against. And that is where I get the authority. 
And so to exercise your authority, you need to understand what you are taking authority over. Because a lot of our prayers are like, God, just do the thing. All of that. <laughs> Amen. And we realize about the spiritual realm is that there are levels of authority in which we need to say, I see you, and you must obey in the name of Jesus. Not, hey, could you just, you know, get better and stop gnashing teeth? That'd be great. But Jesus looks to the issue. Because you can't take authority over something you cannot name and cannot see and do not know. Authority comes from being able to identify what you're up against and being able to name it and to take authority over that because you only have authority over what you know, not what you do not know. And this is why there are so many Christians who suffer demonic oppression who will never get free because they continue to pray for a better life and more peace, never realizing there's a greater force that's oppressing them. They're praying about the symptoms and God is calling us to look at the cause. We need to speak to the cause, not the symptoms. And instead of us praying that, man, God, would my boss stop being so mean to me? What we need to do is ask ourselves, Holy Spirit, what is in my boss right now that is causing him to act out in meanness? Lord, we pray against a spirit of control and manipulation that is manifesting against me. That's how you pray a powerful prayer. Not just, God, would he just be nicer? Would he kind of just suck a little bit less, a little bit, please? You know, so Jesus never spoke to the symptoms of the oppression. He never was like, hey, stop throwing yourself. Stop foaming in Jesus' name. Stop gnashing those teeth. He never did that. He always spoke to the root behind the symptoms. He spoke to the cause. And so you have to ask yourself, what else is going on? And to pray into that. And it's funny that Jesus said, this one only comes out by prayer. Now, the scriptures doesn't tell us that he stopped and prayed, but Jesus didn't stop there and like, all right, let's have a prayer service over this boy, you know. He wasn't like saying, like, you just need to hold a prayer service. I believe what was missing in that story is Jesus pausing and saying, Holy Spirit, what's going on with this boy? And it's like, deaf and mute spirit. And then he spoke. And so that is our mandate. Our mandate is to look at situations not try and treat the symptoms, but to stop and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is going on here? If you've ever met with Eric Waterbury and had any sort of challenge in your life, you will know that he will often say, to my complete annoyance, have you asked the Holy Spirit? Which is the most obvious question at like Christianity 101 that I'm failing. It's like, no. And it says this obvious principle because we get so wrapped up in complaining about what is and what is not that we forget to stop and say, Holy Spirit, what else is going on here? And I'm so thankful that he asked me those questions because I always get to the root of it. I always complain about a symptom and the Holy Spirit always wants to talk to me about the cause. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. Don't talk about this. Get to this. The next one, if you want to step into greater spiritual authority, you need to overcome fear and disappointment. Now, I would love to spend the entire night just on one of these, but I can't. But fear and disappointment. Why fear and disappointment? Because these are the two favorite tactics of the enemy. Fear and disappointment. I believe they go t in tandem that the devil is the father of lies. There's no truth in him, and he uses these two against us. So let me talk about fear first. What is fear? Fear is the lies of the devil disguised as logic. Fear 
is the lies of the devil disguised as logic. Because our fears always, it's not like they, they don't make rational sense. Well, some of your fears maybe don't make rational sense. Mine usually do. I, I can actually defend my fears. Because no one wants to say you're being irrational. It's like, no, like, this fear I have, like, it makes perfect sense. And so the fears, I believe, are the enemy's logic disguised, or I'm sorry, the enemy's lies disguised as logic. And the reason that he does it is because the enemy is, is tricky. He needs to contain you. He doesn't, like, appear with pitchfork and, like, red costume and scare us. No, it is much better to speak to you and have your own thoughts and your own voice talk you out of why you should do something. What we don't realize is that our own fears are oftentimes the enemy planting ideas in our minds. And what I've learned is that my fear of the future is always far worse than the future. What I fear to be the case is always infinitely worse than what actually comes to pass. And I've learned this is that if you listen to your fears, you will talk your molehills into mountains. If you listen to your fears, you will talk your molehills into mountains. You see, the devil will use fear so that you don't go the places you know you ought to go. If you remember in the Old Testament, Moses wanted to go to the promised land. There's like a little tiny section there. He's like, he sent out 12 spies, remember? Sent out 12 spies, go look at the promised land, give a report. Now they come back and they give a very mixed report. Some people are like, Land and milk and honey, it's awesome, let's go. And then other people are like, there's giants there. We can't go, you know. And we're like, we're like grasshoppers to them, you know. Like, they completely inflate. The land is filled with giants. We're like grasshoppers. We're going to be, you know, destroyed. And so they, they plant fear. Well, it takes them 40 years of wandering, right? It's the only place that the nation was afraid to go, by the way. The only place they were afraid to go. They wait 40 years from wandering. Then they enter the promised land, and spend a hundred years not seeing a single giant. And then they encounter one who's then killed by a boy with a stone. But yet that was the single place they're afraid to go because of the fear. And so the goal is not to expect that we live without fear. The goal is not to live without fear. The goal is to live a life that does not accommodate our fears. Fear is common. <laughs> We're going to have it. I, I, I can't pretend to you that you're going to have a life without fear. That is not the goal. The goal is to have fear not be the final answer and to not let your life begin to reduce itself to the comfort and accommodation of that fear. See, fear is common to us, but what you do with that fear is the single thing that matters. It determines whether you're courageous because courage is just saying, fear, you're a liar, and I'm going to go for it anyways. And so to develop a life of authority, you will need to have an anticipated, prepared answer for your fears because living a powerful life does not mean you're going to live a comfortable life. You can't have both together. You're going to have a powerful life. You want to pursue that. You have to anticipate that it is going to be uncomfortable, that you're going to have to be courageous. Chris Valentin has a great saying to this effect. It says that the, the dogs of doom bark loudest at the door of your destiny. The dogs of doom bark loudest at the door of destiny. So that's fear. So let me talk about disappointment real quick. Disappointment is probably one of the, the things in our faith that we don't talk about because we don't want to talk about a faith that disappoints us. 
So like faith does not, you know, hope does not disappoint. Like we, we kind of market faith on not being disappointed. <laughs> like this is all going to be better. But we don't know why things don't work out. We just know that things don't work out even though we want them to. And so part of developing our spiritual authority and a powerful life means that we get used to or at least are okay with being let down. To develop spiritual authority is to be tolerant and to be okay that sometimes we're going to be let down, that we are going to have unanswered prayers. But we should take comfort in this because Jesus experienced the same thing. He looked at the nation of Israel and he wept because they didn't receive him. Jesus, longing for the redemption of a nation, his people, looking at thousands of years, saying, this is the the nation, a royal priesthood after my own heart. And Jesus looked over them and wept. Which means that he wanted something. He prayed, he looked towards something, but didn't get it. He was also disappointed. We see in his hometown, it says that Jesus could not do, Jesus could not do, let's just like, we could just sit on that for a second. Jesus could not do miracles in his own hometown, except lay hands on a few people and says he marveled at their unbelief. And so an unanswered prayer does not make a statement on us. An outcome that didn't go the way we want does not mean it's unique to us. Jesus wrestled with the same thing, the same disappointment. That should give us great comfort. And an awareness that what the devil wants to do is he wants to remind you of your disappointment and make you question everything. He wants you to be thinking about all the times you did this or prayed for this and that didn't happen and that didn't happen. Remember this and that didn't happen. That is what he wants for you. And he wants you to say, why even bother? Why even bother praying for that person? Why even bother doing this? Remember how that happened last time? It failed. And that is what he wants to plant in us. And so even though you might have prayed the same thing a thousand times and didn't get your answer, pray the thousand and first and believe. Because that is what God is calling us for breakthroughs, the assurance of things received, the hope. And so our mandate is not to come to prayer as skeptics. The mandate for prayer is to pray as if it's already happened. But sometimes, I will confess, I approach prayer being reminded, like, I was really bummed out the last time I did this. And when we remember our unanswered prayers, it's actually holding a grudge against God. And immediately, you surrender all of your spiritual authority. Because now you've partnered with the devil in a lie. If you approach prayer thinking of how God didn't come through, you've now partnered with a lie and you surrender all your authority for the situation. I'm super convicted by that because I've got a good memory. I remember the times I was really let down. And so it's hard. We have to look and to know that well, my, my authority is actually dependent upon my assurance, my belief that no matter how many times I had unanswered prayers, this is going to be the time. If it doesn't happen, I start all over again. I don't dwell on what didn't happen. I begin to stand firm on the promises of God. And so if you have disappointment, you can join the club because all of us have it. The goal is not to, have any dis- is not to eliminate disappointment, it's to not have disappointment limit you. That we're going to have it, it's going to happen. There are factors and forces and things we can't control. Outcomes that we don't want, they're going to happen to us. But the devil will win when that disappointment paralyzes us from being powerful people. You guys good? 
All right, last one. If you want to step into greater kingdom authority, as the rebel, I like this one. Stop waiting for permission. There's a lot of you in here who know what you ought to do and haven't done it because you're waiting for someone to give you permission. You're waiting for someone to call your name, to make a way, someone to recognize you and pull you in. There's a lot of us that are not doing what we're supposed to be doing because we're waiting for somebody else. And if the enemy knows that you require somebody else to invite you, to recognize you, to empower you, all the enemy has to do to limit you is to inspire a spirit of jealousy and control among your leaders, which happens a lot. No wonder the enemy is so good at inspiring jealousy and manipulation because it suppresses people who are waiting for their opportunity that will never come because they're waiting for someone to recognize them, to give them space and recognition. And so I have news for you is that we don't wait for the kingdom. The kingdom waits for us. We don't wait for the kingdom. The kingdom waits for us. And when the kingdom waits for us, that means that sometimes we're going it alone. It's great if you're going with me, but if you don't go with me, I'm going it alone. And that is an absent concept or mindset in the church because we want to make sure that's all orderly and all controlled and we want to make sure everything is perfectly contained and there's a committee that plans it and there's a budget that's assigned for it and everyone's taken care of and we have all these different channels and things very good things I'm not trying to say those are not necessarily I'm not saying they're bad things maybe they're not great things you know what I'm saying but what happens is that process is a great excuse for people to never step into their identity and into their authority and people are looking for excuses not to become the powerful people they are because they think that they need to follow this chain of command and have this permission. And so we need to, we need to stop believing the lie that the world is going to cooperate with us. You're calling, you're gifting. Don't think for a second that the world wants to help you along with it. The world's not going to cooperate in the things that we feel the most called to. I can't tell you how often, like, I just face discouragement over certain things. Like, this is a terrible idea, you know? Like, and I'm reminded, like, this stuff is hard. The kingdom comes by force, and forceful people lay hold of it. That's a Matthew eleven twelve. 12. That we expect the, the kingdom to come on time, you know, come at the perfect season when I'm perfectly ready and I'm well prepared. And really what I found is that the greatest kingdom breakthroughs are actually really messy. They're people who like bang on a table and said, I've had enough. I can't stand here any longer. I must do something. And so if you want to advance the kingdom, you better get comfortable with ruffling some feathers. I remember the day my courage changed when I thought about ministry because a man named Dwight Hill who passed away a number of years ago I was telling him about like my ministry challenges and he's like, you are spending all of your time trying to please people. You're trying to make sure people like you. Because I would used to write jokes in my sermons and be like, joke here. <laughs> oh, no one's laughing. Okay, so I go on. And I really wanted to be funny, you know, and I'm just not that funny. Um, and I really wanted to like focus on details here and there. And he just looked at me he's like, you're trying so hard to please people. I'm like, so? So what? And he pointed at me, he gave me a homework assignment. He's like, go look at Galatians 1.10. It says, if I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. All this busy activity, you're spending all your time. And it's for you. 
None of it is for him. You're not a servant. You're busy, but you're not serving him. And I just remember like just being completely disoriented. That part, and he said like, if you're going to do anything substantial in the kingdom, you're going to ruffle feathers. There are going to be people who don't like you. I like being liked. I don't like the grumpy comments on Facebook. I don't like the emails and people who send me like YouTube videos and things that I don't disagree with. They're like, I just don't like that. I want everyone to, to like me. <laughs> Please come back. I, I just, it's this human condition that is completely incompatible with the kingdom. That I need to be okay to give you the truth and have everyone stomp out of here and say like, I was faithful to what I thought God was calling me. Because I know that I, the instant I fall out of God's calling is the instant I try to please people and try to be liked and try to have people come back and be entertained. And some people say, well, what if I upset the religious people? Well, great. You're in great company with Jesus, the disciples, and almost everybody who ever did anything for the kingdom. They upset the religious folk. Like, that's what they did. And so show me someone who's afraid of, of offending someone and I'll show you someone who has no authority. If you are afraid of offending someone, you are a powerless Christian. You need to be okay that for me to be powerful is for me also to have people disagree with me. I have someone who's really important in my life who disagrees with me very deeply. And it's hard. It's super hard. But for me, I have to understand like, hey, why am I surprised by this? Like, this, this comes with part of the territory. And so you might be thinking, well, I've tried this, I've tried that, and you might now say, well, the door was closed. This is the other thing we say when we talk about asking for permission. Instead of us having boldness to go in through, we'll use language like, well, the door was closed. Okay, cool. Let me say a thing or two about closed doors. We have a mindset that believes an open door equates to the call of God. We mark God's pathway, his calling, by open doors. If the door's open, Jesus is in it. If the door's closed, he's not in it. That's how we generally interpret things. But this is incorrect theology. Because Matthew 7 says, knock and it'll be opened. Wait a minute. Knock and it'll be opened. You can't knock on an open door. You only can knock on a closed door. You see, the kingdom is not about searching for open doors. The kingdom is about encountering closed doors and then knocking. But so many of us, we are so obsessed that the door is closed. It's just not the Lord. And he's like, I told you when you encounter the closed door to knock. It's not the search for the open doors. It's the, okay, when you find the closed door, seek a second opinion. And so, so many of us are getting trapped because we encounter a closed door and then we interpret things that God isn't saying. When he's saying, encounter a closed door, then begin to knock and ask a second opinion and I will open it. But so many of us, we miss the great opportunities for God because we mistook the closed door as God saying no. When he actually wants us to ask, would you open it? I can't tell you, this building is the greatest miracle of my life probably. We found this building. It had been on the market for five years, something like that, something crazy. No offers. And we're like, this is amazing. This is perfect. We put an offer in, and 
the offer, like, we're going back and forth, 120 days, 160 days, whatever. Like, we're just squabbling back and forth on, on days. No big deal. The seller goes dark. Doesn't respond. Goes completely silent. And then we, like, call back, like, hey, 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 what's going on? And they're like, well, we just took an all-cash deal from the, from the Bay Area. The building was sold. <laughs> I was like, we offer more money. They wouldn't take it. They're like, no, it's... Easy deal, you know, we just want to be done with it. And we're like, we'll try anything. They're like, we're in escrow, sorry. And I remember, it was almost just over a year ago, just being devastated. Devastated that, like, the thing that we wanted is now gone. And at Waterbury, when we had one of our nights at, at Ashley's house, everyone was about to leave. We had a worship service. I think Fred and Andrew were leading worship that night. And he, like, calls everyone back. and like, we just lost a building. And I'm like, let's, let's not pray about a building, please. I mean, it's like, how spoiled am I? There's starving children, and we're co- complaining about real estate deals right now. He calls everyone back in, and we pray. And we just said, the door's closed, but you are the God who opens doors. And we decided we're going to pray this building back. We're going to begin to knock on these doors. There's this little exit. Every single time I get off this exit, you can see the cars right there. I would drive down that exit. I'd point to this building, like right this position. I would call it back. Like, I don't care what escrow paperwork is there. I call you home. Shadi and I, how many times? We spent hours out here, right? We, we walked this building. We put hands on it. We don't own the thing. Someone else owns it. We scour all old stuff. We walk through here. Our staff walk by here. We're like, hey, when you walk there, you know, put a hand out towards the building. For months, months and months and months. I'm, I'm talking to DJ. I'm like, I'm so discouraged. Like, I don't feel like it's gone. One day, the phone call from our broker, who's looking for other places for us. Long story short, he says, a friend sent me an email to talk about business transactions and real estate. And our broker's like, okay, cool. He opens up his email. Inside the email from his buddy in the Bay Area is pictures of this building. <laughs> and our broker's like, what's with the building? And the friend's like, it's the one I'm in escrow on. So our broker's like, hey, I know the sleazeball people that you thought stole your building. Like, I know them. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, the door's closed. Let's keep knocking. Will you have a lunch with us? Will you come to Sacramento? Will you just hear us out? Again, at any time, we could have just said the door is closed, God's not in it. We sat at the restaurant there on Capitol Mall, and we just went for it. Ash was there, and we just like, here's who we are, here's what we're doing. We have a tech company, but we also have this ministry thing, and young people, and the power of God, and callings, and identities, and city transformation. We, I don't, they could have been Satanists for all I knew. Like completely the non-strategic thing to do. I'm like playing all of my cards up front. <laughs> I was like, here it is. The two owners like looked at each other. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Do you just want to buy it from us? We, 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 we're into your vision. Like whatever you need to do to make that happen, we're in for it. And suddenly the door opens. A lot of other details from that, but it was just crazy. All because the kingdom mandates that as we encounter a closed door, we don't turn away. We actually look at closed doors and we knock. We don't need permission to knock. We don't need to beg and plead and ask God, should I really do it? We just, we need to knock. We need to go for it. And I feel like the Lord is like impressing on me tonight, especially is that some of us have given up on dreams because we reached a closed door and gave up when we should have knocked 
When in reality, God was saying, the closed door is an opportunity for me to bring you one step closer to that breakthrough. Because he is the God who moves mountains. He is the God who opens doors. He is the God who transforms what is to what could be. But we'll never know if we don't knock. So we don't wait for permission. We knock, we go boldly. We say, I have to because what is in me is for that. Let me put a bow on this and finish. How do we step into our kingdom authority? So when you realize you're made for this, every cell in your body is made to partner with God for the renewal of all things. We develop a vision for greater authority. We have to have an idea for what God could do through us. We prepare ourselves ready. We don't wait until we need a breakthrough to get prepared. We prepare now so when the breakthrough happens, we're there. Number four is we use the authority we already have. God wants to multiply what we have. doesn't care if you've got two fish and five loaves or five loaves and two fish, whatever the combination is. He wants to know, are you going to be faithful with a little so I can multiply it? Number five is speak to what is really going on. Look beneath the symptoms. Speak to the issue. Ask the Holy Spirit, what else is going on here? Because I don't want to waste my breath, my time complaining. I want to get to the root of the issue. I want to speak life to the issue. Number six is overcome fear and disappointment that you can turn your molehills into mountains, that the devil lies in the form of logic to you so you don't act, and that he wants to use disappointment about what, about what didn't happen so you lose all hope to ever try again. And last is to stop waiting for permission because if you wait for permission for someone to make space for, for you, you'll never step into the con that God really has for you. He's calling you into it now, and that's what I have for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.